This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. This is not a regular player, this is not a pretty good quarterback. This is an all time great. Is he? A strange bird off the field? He's a little nuts, I think. Okay? That's his deal. Is he really weird? Yeah. You don't have to hang out with him. You just have to put on your Jet jersey, go to the stadium, and watch him do his thing, which is move the Jets down the field and into the end zone, which is something you have not had in years. Subscribe to the Mike Francesa podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Mike Missanelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Mike Missanelli Podcast, podcast episode number 42, and a very important podcast today. It's, of course, brought to us by the great people at Bet Rivers. Don't forget to download that Bet Rivers app. Do it right now if you don't have it downloaded and make those last minute bets on the NFL playoff games. Well, finally, it has arrived. The Eagles finally play a playoff football game Saturday night. 825 against the New York Giants. And uh, I got to tell you, I think it's the most favorable thing that could happen to the Eagles here. I think they needed a game to get under their belt against an opponent that's a little inferior to them so they can get back rolling. And of course, here's the basic theme of this playoff game. Number one, are the Eagles still a mystery or, or have they grown now in this, this uh, vacant week to be the team that they were during the season versus can the Giants replicate what they did last week? That's the basic thing for this playoff game. So let's attack it a little by little. The Eagles are still a mystery. Why are they still a mystery? Well, we know why they're still a mystery. They're a mystery because of the quarterback and his injury status. They're a mystery because of the right tackle and his injury status. Let's look at the Eagles. They have not been the same over the last three games. That's because of injury. Gardner Minshew had to play in two of them. And, of course, they played against the Giants' JV in the final game of the season. They haven't played since then. We don't know the condition of Jalen Hurts, even though the word we get is that he's fine. In practice, he was a full practice. He was throwing him. Well, I won't know that until I see it. And we'll see it pretty early. Okay, so... That's obviously what this game hinges on because the Eagles are a very good offensive team, but they're a very good offensive team because of what the quarterback does. And what the quarterback does is opens the field for everybody else. The threat of him running out of a zone read or an RPO makes everybody around him better. It makes Miles Sanders what he is. It makes A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith open uh, on routes. It makes Dallas Goddard a key man as a tight end who can receive the football in here. But it all depends on whether Jalen Hurts can carry the ball. And it'll be interesting to see how the coaching staff handled this. Will they want to protect them early? Will they will they be a little conservative early? I mean, I don't know, but I think that would be a bad idea for them to be conservative on this. I think they ought to trust them 
they ought to go back to the regular offense and, and you know leave caution to the wind on this situation. Now let's look at the Giants. Can they replicate what they did last week? They're obviously a different team than when the Eagles pounded them and scored 48 on them. And, and when they were kind of you know slogging along to win some games, they had a bad spell in there. But last week they showed a different identity. They showed an identity as a pretty good team. Uh, and they did that because of the growth of the quarterback. And the quarterback had an all-world game last week. Threw for 300-plus. He ran for 78 more. He got Saquon Barkley involved in, in the receiving game. He's got this Isaiah Hodgins who's come out of nowhere to be a, a, a pretty good receiver for them. So their passing attack has improved, and that makes their overall running game an improvement. But let's look at whether they can replicate it. Good teams can replicate good efforts. The Giants are an okay team. To expect them to replicate what they did last week on the road for a second straight week, especially in Philadelphia, to me, is a tall order. And I think that's the way they look at it in Vegas because the Eagles are a seven and a half point favorite. So I'm going to tell you right now that uh, I can't answer the first question of whether the Eagles are still a mystery, but I can answer question number two, which is can the Giants replicate? No. I don't believe they can replicate. So that gives the Eagles a decided advantage. All right, now let's look at what gives the Giants a chance. Obviously, their running game plus Daniel Jones gives them a chance. The Eagles, if they're weak, they're weak against a good running attack. We saw it against the Commanders earlier this year where they can control the ball on the ground. They kept the Eagles' offense off the field. That's the template to beat the Eagles. They also don't defend running quarterbacks very well. Daniel Jones is a running quarterback. He can make plays with his legs. He is a very big and fast quarterback to get out of the pocket. Um, The running game, again, as we talked about, improved for the Giants when their passing game improved. And last week against the Vikings, they came out throwing instead of running the football, and then we're able to get Saquon involved, catching the ball out of the backfield, and, and he ran like he did, he ran like nine times, I think. But, but his, his, his per-rush average was pretty high in that game last week, even though he didn't get a, a 100 yards. What also makes the Giants different in this game? They're cornerbacks. They've got their two cornerbacks healthy again. Those cornerbacks did not face the Eagles the first time when they rang 48 on them. And the cornerbacks, Xavier McKinney and Adore Jackson, are back in the fold. They're better. And so they, they should be better defending the pass. Um, so let's go on with some more uh, Giants stats and talk about Daniel Jones. Last two games, 110 rating. It's pretty good. He's quietly thrown for 3,200 yards this year. And we know what he can do with his legs. Saquon has rushed for 1,300 yards. But Saquon has become a really monster pass-catching target for them. The Eagles allow 95.5 rating against running backs catching the ball out of the backfield. It's a major concern, and they're going to have to be perfect, the Giants are, in executing that to score enough points to beat the Eagles. All right, let's look at the other thing that may give the Eagles an edge. The Eagles have a decided edge defensively. They could put pressure on the quarterback. If they contain Daniel Jones, he has nowhere to go. Now, in the middle, they've gotten sacks. They've gotten 18 combined sacks this year from their defensive tackles. Hassan Reddick has 16 alone. Josh Sweat is back. Brandon Graham had double-digit sacks. 
So the, the key matchup for me, Evan Neal at right tackle with the Giants, not a great right tackle. They're obviously better on the left side. But Hassan Reddick going against Evan Neal, to me, is the major factor for the Philadelphia Eagles to get pressure on Daniel Jones, keep him bottled up, make sure he doesn't get outside the pocket to hurt you. Uh, Andrew Thomas on the other side, uh, pretty solid. Um, let's look at what the Giants may do here. Wink Martindale is a blitzer. The Giants blitz more than any team in the NFL this year, percentage-wise. Did not blitz against the Vikings. I got to think that Wink Martindale is looking at this situation and go, we got to blitz Hurts. The stats say that Jalen Hurts is not as good against the blitz as some other quarterbacks in this league. So you take advantage of that. Now, when you, when, when you do that, you run the risk that if he's 100% healthy, he's going to burn you getting out of the pocket for chunk plays. So it'll be interesting to see what Wink Martindale does here. My, 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 my sense is he'll blitz the hell out of him early just to test him, just to figure out what's going on. Um, all right. Um, let's look now at um, the, the stats for the Eagles. And, and we, we all know these stats, okay? They're, they're, uh, they're first in, in pass yards allowed. They don't allow a lot of pass yards. They're, they're first in uh, yards per, per game allowed. Uh, they are eighth. Uh, in uh, points per game allowed. So their defense has been solid all year. They are 16th, however, against rush yards allowed. So if, if you're the Giants, you want to get that going, and uh, you hope that uh, because Daniel Jones has improved as a passer, that you'll be able to rush the football. Um, okay, so uh, let me bring producer Darren in here. Darren, when we look at this game, uh, and, and we look at the two factors, the Eagles being a mystery versus the Giants being improved. How does it come out on your end? Well, first, I'm going to dude you. Dude, don't give me Daniel Jones, okay? I, I, he played great last week against a much weaker defense. Minnesota defense is not that good. It hasn't been that good all year. They fired the defensive coordinator 24 hours after the game. So Daniel Jones does not scare me. The Eagles being an unknown yeah, there's a little bit there. I think they're going to come right out with the with the regular offense. You're going to see RPOs. You're going to see Hertz running the ball on the first and or second drive. I think they're going to come right out and establish he's here. He's back. You're going to have to worry about him all day. I don't worry so much about this game because the Eagles are so much better on both sides of the line of scrimmage. And in playoff games, that's where the game is won, the offensive and defensive lines. And the Eagles are light years ahead of the Giants in those two units. Well, I totally agree with you. I'm playing devil's advocate to sue, to address how the Giants could possibly win. A lot of things would have to go yeah. perfectly for the Giants, and I don't believe the roster is good enough or capable enough to replicate that good effort that we saw last week against the Minnesota Vikings. Right. They have a look. Barkley's a top five running back, Mike, and they have they're well coached on both sides of the ball. I like both coordinators. I like the head coach, and I think the Giants can. It's not going to be the 48-22 drubbing that it was a month. By the way, that game was only like a month ago. Okay, so not like that was at the beginning of the season. That was like five weeks ago. It's not going to be that. But I do think the only ways – you're not going to be able to win with just coaching and a running back. They're the only two units that the, that the Giants are better than the Eagles right now. Okay, I, I get to the, that the Eagles are better than the Giants. I get it. If we're talking about vintage Eagles, 
right now, we don't know if they're vintage Eagles. We haven't seen it in three games. I mean, let's face it. We, we don't know what we're going to see with this Eagle offense. And we're taking a leap of faith to think that they're going to be back to what they were during the season, which was pretty much an offensive juggernaut led by Jalen Hurts. So to me, that's the only factor. I, we will see it early on, whether they're in sync with this quarterback and whether he's he's healthy enough to execute what they want to do on offense. And to me, that's the only thing that holds this back. There's seven and a half points fa- uh, favorite for a reason. And and uh, so, you know, we have to take a leap of faith. Am I right? Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, you're right. There is a little bit of faith there because we haven't seen them as a whole unit, this, this team, in about three, oh, close to a month right now, I guess, uh, going into the Chicago game, as I think that was the last time they were this healthy. I'm not – I think they're, you're going to – we'll know right away – I think Lane Johnson is his health is higher than we anticipated, and it looks like Hertz is as well. But I think you're going to see right away um, that this team is back and this team is healthy. You see, I I don't know about any, their health at all because here's what I know after being 30 years in the business: people feed you bullshit. Okay, and there's a lot of propaganda that flows out there, and I don't know from one week to the next whether guys are healthy. Uh, you know, after the game, he was hurting, and all of a sudden now he's healthy. No, I, I, I'm not going to buy that until I see it, no matter what they say. So, uh, you know, they're trying they're trying to obviously put the best face on it. Yeah, to me, it's a concern, but not enough of a concern because here I'm ready to give my prediction, and uh, I and and frankly, I would if if you've got the Bet Rivers app, I would load up. On an Eagles cover. Seven and a half to me seems like a bargain. My prediction is even conservative. I got the Eagles winning 31 to 17 in this game, covering rather easily. There's no way the Giants are going to stay with this team over a long haul. And the G-Men had a good year. And Brian Dable, coach of the year, blah, blah, blah. I get it. All the people in New York are all excited. The Big Blue is back. But they ain't back on Saturday night. And it's going to be a, 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 a rocking chair ride, as I call it, uh, as we get to the fourth quarter. They will have control of the game from the second quarter on. 31-17, to 17, folks, is my prediction. Eagles win it. Move on to the next round, which could be a little more precarious. It's the Mike Mussinelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. All righty, everybody. It is time to check in with one of my favorite guys on the planet. And, of course, he used to join me on a regular basis during the football season on the the old radio show. He is the content producer for ESPN's very popular show, Get Up, and he's a native of Westchester, PA. We never forget that. And a diehard Philadelphia sports fan, including uh, being a big-time Eagle fan where he represents every week. He is the great Paul Hembikitis, and you know him as Hembo. What's up, buddy? Mikey Miss, you're a legend. It is always a delight and a privilege and an honor to speak with you. Last time it was in advance of the World Series, that unexpected magic carpet ride that we enjoyed that ended two games too soon. Uh, And this time, it it feels sort of like it did when we spoke back in 2017. We got the best team. We got questions at the quarterback position. I'm getting a lot of 2017 vibes from this group. But I'm honestly awfully confident heading into the postseason this year relative to where this team has been the last month. Yeah, uh, and we want to dig into some stats because this is what you're brilliant at, going inside the game, and uh, I'm going to love to do that with you. But um, when I when I look at this matchup, uh, it looks like the Eagles really got the favorable matchup for a number of reasons. Not only are they a 7.5-point favorite against the Giants, they're a better roster than the Giants, but this is kind of like a test game for the quarterback to get back into the flow. Is that the way you see it? 
It is. Uh, Jalen Hurts is not 100%. Uh, we know this, and we should expect him to be operating less than full strength for the duration of the postseason. The Eagles have obviously said all the right things over the last month about the condition of his injury. Look, the bottom line of it is he's not going to be the player that he was that was considered among the favorites to win the MVP as recently as a month, a month and a half ago. That I think we know for sure, right? They wouldn't have played him week 18 if they didn't have to, but they had to secure the number one seed. So they did. They didn't empty out any of the tricks in their bag. We had Sal Palantonio come uh, on Get Up today and give a pretty encouraging report about where things stand for Jalen Hurts. But I I honestly, I'm going to have to kind of see it to believe it because he's a player whose skill set is obviously so multiple, and he's a player who absorbs so many hits and seeks out so much contact that you know those Giants guys know the same things that we do. They're going to check his oil early in that game and see how that shoulder's going to hang up. Yeah, and, and you know, the, the thing about this, he's, he's so much of what they do offensively overall because his, his zone reads and, and his ability to carry the football really makes everybody else better, and it makes the defense like really on their heels because they, they always have a plus one when, when he's a threat to run. So it'll be interesting to see what their offensive game plan would be. I would think they would just put all cylinders out, all you know, throw throw the fire all all out there and and see what happens. So when you look at this matchup, what what particular matchups are you looking at that either favor or disfavor the Eagles? So I think it all starts with the quarterback. You mentioned the zone read, and you took me to my first point. Because the first time the Eagles played the Giants, week 14, that bloodbath, right, the 48-22 to game, maybe the best game he and they have played all season. They ran zone read 19 times for a buck 71 and three touchdowns. I mean, the Giants had absolutely no answers for Jalen Hurts in the zone read in that game. And if you want to go on balance, like look at the sort of season-wide scope here, they're, they're, it, it goes without saying. But like the condition of him being able to be close to 100% with his shoulder is obviously massive. Through 22 touchdowns this year, Mikey missed the average of those traveled 31 yards in the air. This is a deep shot offense in the passing game, as we've seen, and they were able to capitalize on that many, on many occasions, largely because of the A.J. Brown addition. He ran it 165 times on the season. He was contacted on 111 of those. Two-thirds of the time Jalen Hurts ran the football, he was getting hit. All right, he's not skirting out of bounds. He's not, ev- he's not sliding. He's not evading. The- this guy... We know seeks out the contact. And so to me, everything we, we sort of um, will be informed by what we see from Jalen Hurts the first couple series of the game. If we see a really compromised Jalen Hurts, I think we'll probably only have access to like two-thirds of the playbook. I think it will approximate what we saw in Week 18. And so what you might be looking at is a sort of an ugly affair, right? If the Eagles have access to the full thing, I think we're looking at a game that's a lot more similar to Week 14. And a lot of sort of the nitty-gritty, who has the edge stuff, might not matter nearly as much. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And here's the other factor, I think. It's, it, the Giants played a great game last week. Um, they're not a team that's really that talented. So uh, the way I look at it, you can pull that off maybe one week. You all band together. You play uh, out of your minds. But to, to carry that over two straight games on the road, especially going into Philadelphia, I, I just can't see it. And I'm not trying to be a homer here. Now, here's how we know that for sure. So, so the Giants uh, during the regular season had the fewest explosive plays in the entire league. Over the course of a 17-game season, the Giants created 43 20-yard plays. No team in the sport had fewer. The Eagles, by the way, had the most. Or excuse me, the second most behind only Kansas City. Last week, in that football game, the Giants had 10 explosive plays and Minnesota had four. All right, Minnesota had the 30th-ranked defense during the regular season on a per-play basis. Their defense, frankly, is trash. And Brian Dayball's a genius, and so obviously he was able to manipulate that defense in such a way that they didn't have many answers. 
But the Eagles' defense is a whole different animal. It's, it's two steps up in class. I'm, I'm with you. Not to mention the fact that the Giants have to had to play on the road last week. The Eagles have – I mean, Jalen Hurts has, has you know, practically been playing with a month off, but a lot of those guys are really well-rested. Obviously, we have players coming off of injury. I view the Eagles as a very different animal from Minnesota, and on two different occasions, the Giants essentially played equivalent to Minnesota. I mean, the Giants were outscored on the season. The Giants <laughs> scored fewer points than their opponent over the course of 17 games. That, like you said, that's how we know they're not that talented, and right now they're probably one level past where they probably should be. All right, so let's get into uh, – I know you list a bunch of inside analytics that uh, really – uh, examine what we're going to see uh, on, on Saturday night. So go, I'll, I'll let you go. Go ahead. Have so at think, it. I think this is going to be a Dallas Goddard game. I really do. So if you're one who plays the Daily Fantasy, the DraftKings, you want to uh, take a shot at making a few bucks this weekend, I really think this is a Dallas Goddard game for the Philadelphia Eagles for a variety of reasons. For starters, the Giants can't cover your tight end. So they allow 8.3 yards per attempt and a 77% completion percentage on tight end targets. Both of those figures ranked at the very bottom of the league throughout the season. We saw T.J. Hawkinson last week at 100. He got 100 in week 16 against them. We saw Mark Andrews get 100 against them in week 6. Why is that, right? The, what do the Giants live in? Man blitz, right? Wink Martindale knows, like, knows what he loves and loves what he knows. So what I, what I sort of expect in this game is him to have to sort of trust his linebackers and trust his safeties to cover Dallas Goddard in the middle of the field if he's sending five guys. And so I think what you're going to get is a lot of short developing stuff to Dallas Goddard and Jalen Hurts with no interest in hanging in the pocket three, three and a half seconds if he does not have to is going to find him, I don't know, half a dozen times and I think once or twice in the red zone. All right. What else? So to me, the Eagles pass rush has the chance to be a uh, singular entity in this game as far as what could wreck it. Like the Eagles pass rush is being criminally underrated on national shows. We talk so much about Micah Parsons and Nick Bosa. The Eagles have four of those guys, right? There are some numbers to demonstrate that. So this season, the Eagles had 70 sacks as a team. The Chiefs ranked second in the NFL with 55. So the Eagles were plus for 15. That's the largest margin of its kind by any defense in the last 60 years. All right, so the Eagles pass rush is that much better than anyone else's in the sport. And of those 70 sacks, 54 of them came when uh, rushing four or fewer, the standard rush. That is far and away the highest such total in a season since ESPN began tracking that stuff. And it manifested in week 14 with seven sacks, 16 pressures against Daniel Jones and the Giants in week 14. I think this unit could single-handedly wreck the game and pretty much render anything else we talk about moot because he might be running for his life from the time they uh, you know, hit the starting gun. All right, so uh, let's look at that uh, on that note. Their right tackle is not that great. Evan Neal is really up and down, and, and Hassan Reddick has been eaten. So, uh, like, to me, that's a major matchup. Yes, and, we, I mean, we, we don't know what it will look like, but, but Josh Wett in, in Week 14 was the reason that Andrew Thomas is in an All-Pro this year. Like, that, that game was a, okay, we have dudes and you don't have dudes. The Giants' offensive line isn't very good. Now, Brian Dable's smart enough to be able to sort of coach around it, but I don't know how much you can do. Like, if you're not going to be able to throw the football down the field at all, this pass rush is historically good. Four guys with 10-plus sacks had never happened before. And they don't have to, it doesn't require you to bring five. Like, the Eagles have such a luxury to be able to press play, to be able to roll the ball out and let these guys go eat. Uh, I'd be really surprised if the Giants' offensive line has the answers for, this, for the Eagles' uh, pass rush. They had no shot in Week 14, and very few teams, frankly, over the last two months. I've had an answer for him. All right, let's go inside the Hembo numbers. Uh, I love uh, the, way, the way you go inside the numbers with what the ESPN model says and, and all these things. So seven and a half point favorite, what does that equate to in your model? So our model, believe it or not, says give the points. Our model gives the Eagles 
an 80% chance to win this game. That equates to a 10-point favorite. So uh, I think you're gonna, like, what we see on a lot of uh, on my shows, at least, is, oh, we like the Eagles in a close game, right? I mean, the Eagles win by a field goal. Maybe the Eagles win by, by seven. Right now, the number seven and a half, like you said. What our model does is it takes, uh, takes the emotion out of it. Our model doesn't overemphasize what we just saw last week. It takes your resume on balance. And what that model says is that the Eagles are 10 points better than the New York Giants at Lincoln Financial Field. Now, the Giants have been excellent this season in covering the number. We know that Brian Dable has maximized this roster. But if you're going to look on th- at things on balance, what our model says is the Eagles have a top five offense and a top five defense. The Giants were outscored on the season. They're coming off of uh, having to play a week ago. The Eagles have extra rest and are at home. That number seven and a half is a no-brainer for us. Now, obviously, they can still play the game if they want to, but that's what our numbers say. <laughs> All right. Uh, are there any other tidbits you'd like to lay on my great audience here on the Mike Vicinelli podcast? Yes. So um, the, the notion that it's hard to beat a team three times in a season is an urban legend. That's a myth. Obviously, it's something that you hear all the time. Yeah, you know, you've been working on this angle all week. I've been reading your tweets about this. You you think this is 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 cock fooey? I, I do. I believe it is cock fooey. Yeah, you you stole the uh, <laughs> you, you you stole the word right from under me. So since the 1970 merger, <laughs> all right, this is how cock fooey it is. Since the 1970 merger, there have been 24 instances of a team going two and zero in the regular season and then meeting a third time in the playoffs. Fifteen of those 24 times. That team completed the three-game sweep. In fact, if you go 2-0 against a team, it's much harder to go 2-1 than to go 3-0. And so obviously we're <laughs> going to throw out that week, that week uh, 18 game as essentially being meaningless. But you're going to hear some idiot on the radio or on TV say it's hard to beat a team for a third time in a season. And now you have the data. Well, that, that that's great data that I, can, I can't even like, comment on because that's be a pretty matter of fact. So, so Eagle fans, in other words, <laughs> Eagle fans, you're worried about – a lot in this game. And uh, you know how Philadelphia fans are. They, they invent uh, reasons to worry. One last thing I want, I want to cover with you, because uh, the Giants did something last week that was uh, not typical of what they usually do on both offense and defense. And uh, they came out throwing the football against Minnesota, where, where they usually don't do that. Uh, and and on the other side, Wink Martindale, who blitzed more than anybody in the league this year, did blitz. They blitzed, I think, 13% of the time. So what is that? Are they throwing a curveball to the Eagles on how to prepare for what he's going to do? Or how, how do you explain that? The Vikings are a, a much different animal than the Eagles are. In terms of what the Giants did offensively, what they allowed their pass catchers to do was run after the catch. This is a critical number for me. So 61% of Daniel Jones's passing yardage last week came after the catch. 61% came by a yak. That was the highest rate among quarterbacks in the first round of the playoffs. In other words, his average pass traveled just five yards beyond the line of scrimmage, but he averaged more than eight yards per attempt. So what that means is that second-level tackling is going to be key for the Eagles. So think about it, right? We, we, we have already established that the Giants have an inferior offensive line. We have established that the Eagles have an historically good pass rush. And we have established that last week, Brian Dayball's impetus to get the ball out of Daniel Jones's hand quickly and allow yards after the catch to be the way that they picked up yards, right? I expect a similar-ish yeah. strategy this week for all the obvious reasons. I mean, the Eagles' pass rush is much better than Minnesota's. But, you, I mean, that, that's the one thing that I think could sort of scuttle the Eagles' chances is if their second-level tackling is not very good. It has, frankly, been quite good, at least in large swaths of the season. There are certain pockets you can obviously pick out on any defense. It's not an area of too much concern of mine. But that's the one area that I would be concerned about if, you know, he's going to dump it off on third and eight, three yards, and then Darius Slayton's going to go run for 15 because Kayvon Wallace misses a tackle. We've seen that story before. I think that is definitely an area 
in which we can circle. As far as Wink Martindale is concerned, I think he's going to blitz. I think he's going to blitz because Jalen Hurts actually statistically this year on balance, although it didn't look like this way in uh, week 14, was sort of inferior against the blitz. He wasn't as good. Uh, Jalen Hurts much prefers to take three seconds to pass, not 2.2. And especially having played as infrequently as he has over the last month, I think they're going to test him early. I honestly think Wake Martindale is going to say, this is what we're good at. This is what we do. Show me how quick you can process and how quickly you can get that ball out of your hand. And even if he does so, we're going to blitz and take a shot at him, right? So, like, I, I wouldn't be no, at all surprised if the Giants, you're going to see them, like, roughing the passer in the first quarter, and they'll take it. They'll absorb that penalty because they want to, like I said before, check that oil. All right. Uh, he's the great Hembo. You see him on, on the set. Uh, if you watch the show, get up. Hembo's right there kind of on the set. He's a little off, but they, they always shoot to him. <laughs> and uh, I was watching where you had an actual casualty uh, on the set with a smashed uh, mini helmet. Yeah. Can, can you explain what happened on your set? <laughs> yeah. So we have a, a segment that we call Smashing Helmets in which Damian Woody, uh, former offensive lineman for the, for the Jets and for the Lions and for the Patriots, takes a, a mallet and actually crushes a helmet, a plastic helmet, if he thinks that team is going to lose that game uh, on that particular week. And in the case of today, he swung his mallet at the Jacksonville Jaguars helmet and struck Dan Graziano in the face with the helmet. So much so that Dan Graziano obtained a welt on his left cheek, uh, requiring ice for the remainder of the show. And despite the fact that he was in concussion protocol for the, for the remainder of the show, he managed to get my trivia question right today. So now he's up 4-1 to one on the season series after I dropped both 2022 and 2021. So it's been a rough start of the year for me. But at least that guy's got a welt on his uh, cheek now that he has to explain away. Yeah, you gave him a trivia question, and uh, he's been beating yeah, up a little yeah. bit this year. I, I thought it was interesting that you guys uh, immediately adjusted to that injury by because Woody did it again um, uh, for the other games, and, and you brought out the, the whole face shield, <laughs> yeah, which, was, yeah. which was really crafty. Do you, do you have one of those on site, so like an emergency one, or what? Yeah, work, workman's comp. We want to avoid the PTO. It's just, look – as, as you know, like once you have the first concussion, the second one comes a lot quicker. We have to protect against this thing, right? So this is we're living in an era of player, player and analyst safety now. We have to ensure uh, everything is on the up and up. Like I, I, legal doesn't have a sense of humor. I'm so honestly surprised that we're still doing it. <laughs> yeah, I've, you know, I've, I've got to figure some suit would shut that down. Uh, he's the great Hembo. He's uh, a Westchester, PA native, and he is the content producer for the wildly successful show Get Up in the Morning. All right, Hembo, the final the final score prediction for you. I got the Eagles 27 to 17. I think the Eagles are going to win. I think the Eagles are going to cover that seven and a half. The, the rest with which they're playing on, I think is going to especially help the defense. I think the offensive line will be healthy enough to protect Jalen Hurts. I think you'll have access to 80 to 90% of the playbook. You might see the kid gloves early, but I think they're going to play well enough to win. I don't expect the Giants to be able to move the football all that effectively with these sort of long uh, matriculated drives the way that they did against Minnesota. I also don't think they're going to be able to create explosive plays like we detailed earlier in the show. So I don't see a path to 27 points for the Giants. I think the Eagles can move the football against the Giants so long as they have an answer for Dexter Lawrence in the middle. 27 to 17 is my score. And I think we'll honestly be on to San Francisco. Yep. And it's a little conservative, by the way. I got 31 17. I think they're going to get four touchdowns and a field goal in this pop. So I, I think it's going to be a very successful evening for the Philadelphia Eagles. Hembo, always a pleasure to touch base with you, man. I miss you. You're a good man. All right, man. We'll talk to you. Peace. It's the Mike Missanelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. All right, folks, thanks to uh, Paul Hembikitis, the great Hembo, for joining us on the program. Uh, let's now start uh, a little segment we call Mike Unleashed, where uh, Mike goes off on, on certain topics. Now, there'll be two parts to Mike Unleashed today. One is 
the football department uh, part of Mike Unleashed, and second is the life department of Mike Unleashed, uh, which I think will stir a, a few more people. Uh, so let's start out with football Mike Unleashed. And we didn't get a chance to unleash on last week's playoffs because we did our last podcast with the great Anthony Gargano, and I didn't want to, uh, you know, do interfere with the great Anthony. And so we, uh, we didn't comment on the playoffs. So let's, uh, let's do it now. Uh, my playoff impressions from the first week, the wild card round of the NFL playoffs. And I start this with a question. How does an NFL coaching staff allow blowing a 27 to nothing lead? I just don't understand it. I could see where it happens in college. A professional staff sitting there with their thumbs in their nose as the other team comes back. The Jacksonville Jaguars, of all teams, to come back from a 27-0 lead? It's incomprehensible to me. Uh, and I, I just don't understand how you can't stop the momentum. You have a pro team. You have professional players. How do you not stop the momentum of having a 27-point lead. I do not understand it. And, and so, uh, like, it bewilders me that that head coach kept his job after that. Brandon Staley kept his job after blowing a 27-point lead. I've never seen anything like it. Now, on the heels of that, um, the broadcast. And Al Michaels and Tony Dungy have been taking a lot of heat, and justifiably so. Now, listen, I happen to have great respect for Al Michaels, I had Al as a regular guest on the Mike Missinelli show. We had a pretty good relationship. But let's face it. Al seems tired. He's very intolerant of bad football games. And he was this year doing Thursday night football. And I think he lost his energy. And he carried that into a playoff game. He didn't have the requisite energy. I mean, the game-winning field goal call was like, I don't know, like, what are you doing? I, I just don't understand it. But let me go even further now with this partner. On what earth does any network think that Tony Dungy adds anything? And I'm talking about in, in, in a host show, and I'm certainly talking about as, as an analyst during a football game. He is the most boring person on the face of the earth. I understand he's well-respected. I understand his life story. I understand the fact that he was a great coach. He doesn't work, and I don't get why networks would go with Tony Dungy. We, we're not looking for his librarian wisdom. We're looking for somebody that can add something to a telecast because, after all, this is entertainment. And I just don't get it. I didn't get the broadcast at all. I don't get why Al would decide to call a game-winning field goal with that lackluster and effort. And I don't get Tony Dungy. Oh, librarian right? wisdom is tremendous. All right, that's like a, that's that's point one about the NFL playoffs. Let's go to point two. I'm watching the Dolphins game now. They've got a chance to beat the Buffalo Bills, and they're coming up the field, and they can't get plays in. And I'm going, what in the hell is so difficult? Are you choking on the sidelines? You're supposed to be a professional coach. You got a quarterback who shouldn't be playing the game, but he's surviving in the game. Help the freaking kid out by getting the play in. So here come the Dolphins. They got the perfect situation. They get a third and one, and all of a sudden the coaching staff starts going, Hamada, 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 Hamada. 
so they spurn a third down play and they get a fourth down and one and they get a penalty for delaying game. It's the most egregious thing that I've ever seen. Think about it, what we, our reaction would have been had that happened in Philadelphia. Just think about a coach, whether it be Andy Reid or Doug Peterson or anybody fumbling a game away because they couldn't get a play in. We would be outraged. And yeah, it's a good thing they play in Miami because I guess the people down there don't get outraged. Uh, and they wound up losing the game. Just stunning stuff that happens in a game. And, and Mike, Mc, Mc, uh, Mc, what's his last name? McDonald? What's their coach's name? McDaniel. Mc, Mike McDaniel. Dude, come on, man. Seriously. Uh, all right, let's, let's go to the Dallas Cowboy kicker. I hate kickers. Uh, I'm pretty much on the record as hating kickers. Uh, and the reason why I hate kickers is not because I have any personal animus against kickers. I just don't think they're football players. Uh, and I think they're paid mercenaries. And it's a shame that we have to pay a non-football player to add points on the board. I get their necessity. And I these people, they tweet me. Yeah, kickers not a big part of football, huh? No, they're a big part of football. They're just not football players. Brett Mahar misses four extra points. Dude, seriously? Like when 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 you're when when those guys are sweating their ass off in two a days, and and they're banging into each other uh, to get prepared for an NFL football season, and you're tossing a football or a beach ball around with your little buddy, the punter and the long snapper, and all they ask you to do is kick an extra point, and you you <laughs> you skank four of them. <laughs> it's like, dude, I don't know how you kept your job, but you're, kept, you're, you're keeping your job. They're taking another leap of faith. The fact is, he wasn't a bad kicker during the season, but he obviously had the yips. I can't have a kicker with the yips. I can't send a kicker out with the yips to give me a, to deliver me a key field goal. He missed four extra points. All right, let me move on. Moose Johnson. Moose Johnson is um, he's a, an analyst for a long time, and uh, I don't understand his fashion sense. Not that the telecast is about fashion sense. I get it. But he comes up with some of the most ridiculous sport coat configurations that I've ever seen. So last week, now he's a big guy. He decides to stuff a hoodie under his sport coat, uh, which I don't have a problem with because a lot of people now wearing the hoodie under a sport coat. But the sport coat is too tight for him. He likes to wear the tight sport coats. His hoodie was like a sweatshirt hoodie. He was stuffed into his freaking sport coat. Listen, Moose, if you're going to wear a, a, a hoodie under a sport coat, let that bitch out of size, will you? I mean, go from a 48 to a 50 for that week. If you go, Otherwise, you look ridiculous. Look in the mirror. That didn't look like you stuffed a sweatshirt underneath the sport coat. Come on, Moose. I pay attention to stuff like that. All right. Let's move on to Tom Brady. I'm going to give Tom Brady a pass. And there's a lot of people because he's Mr. Perfect. A lot of people hate Tom Brady. I don't know how you hate the best quarterback of all time, maybe the best athlete of all time, the GOAT of all time, playing the hardest sport, the hardest position, and accomplishing what he what he did. And now people are ready to jump on him. Oh, he's done. He's hit a wall. He should retire. I'm going to allow a little something here. He went through that whole season going through a painful separation from a high-profile woman. Now, if you don't think that affected him inside, you've never been in a domestic squabble in your life. It's tough to negotiate that. The emotions of that, and when this 
hot Brazilian model is going to leave your ass and you have to now make considerations for that. How in the world can you be 100% focused on playing football? I'm going to give him a pass. Darren, do you give my man a pass for that? I give him more a pass because he had to play all season with that direct team and that horrible offensive line. But, yes, I know what it's like to go – you know, I've had one like major breakup in my life, but yes, that's tough. It's tough to negotiate through and and go through that rigorous schedule that an NFL quarterback has to go through with that you know, matzo ball hanging out there. Listen, uh, uh, in this particular situation, it's not like you're fighting over who's going to get the dog or who's going to get custody of the lawnmower. Right. This is big time money here. This is a woman who wants her cut. And so you're going back and forth and you have to make a settlement and the emotions of it. You probably still want to be married to her. It, it makes you feel good to be married to the Giselle, doesn't it? So all of a sudden you're it, 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 what people don't understand that it like these athletes are not robots in your real life. If a situation like that's going to wrench your heart, do you think it's not wrenching his heart? Give the guy a break. I know you hate Brady, but please. All right. That's my football edition of Mike Unleashed. Let's go to the life edition of Mike Unleashed. And this is going to make people uncomfortable. I get it because I've been getting the Twitter feedback uh, the whole time. And I'm, I'm really just glomming on to what hockey writers have been saying about this situation. And the situation is Flyers defenseman Ivan Provorov, who decided to clearly make a statement against a certain culture by not participating in a Flyer promotion, the team's promotion, which is frankly orchestrated by one of their most respected hockey players in the, in the clubhouse, Scott Lawton, to uh, show the fans that everybody is welcome to be a Flyer fans, including the LGBTQ population, which is a nice sentiment because it, it, it promotes inclusion and not seclusion. So uh, I've been reading all the tweets about this, and uh, I, I frankly don't understand people uh, who are rallying in support of Ivan Provorov. To me, if you're rallying in support of his stand to be totally against the Soan culture and not accepting of a total culture, it probably means you feel the same way. Otherwise, I can't imagine that that you would support his stance. And, and don't give me, well, it's not a big deal. He, he has the freedom to not, to, to not wear what he wants to wear. It's, it's bigger than that. You know it. it it's, it's a statement of his intolerance. And, uh, Intolerance, to me, disintegrates a society rather than progresses a society. When you hide behind religious views that are probably outdated, how are you progressing society? And let me just say something about God. I don't think I really have that much of a personal relationship with God, but I I would like to think that there is a God who is tolerant of all of us. Because that's the God that gives you hope that society can progress. So I don't want a God, or I'm not, I think I'm believing in a God who's going to make judgments and say, you know what, these LGBTQ people, these are not worthy people. I don't want a God that thinks about that. So in this situation, God has to trump what I think are misguided religious rules. All right. Now, let me read a tweet from a guy. And this is an example of the intolerance that goes on in this world for no reason. The guy's name is Colin Rugg. Now, I don't know who the F Colin Rugg is, but he tweets this, because I see all these tweets, on the, all these comments about this whole situation. He says, I support anyone who refuses to bend the knee 
to the radical woke mob. This quote unquote rainbow thing has gone too far. Ivan Provorov has my full support. Now, this is the type of ignorance that sets society backwards. Uh, because I go to, like, how does this help? How does your attitude on that help? This rainbow thing has gone too far. In other words, you don't acknowledge a certain culture and the way they want to live their lives. So I ask you, how in the world does a certain segment of people who want to live their life that way affect you negatively? How does it bother with your life? And this is what I want people to think about. So what? Let people live life the way they want to live. If they want to live an LGBTQ lifestyle, let them live their lifestyle because it doesn't affect you in the least. And when you accept other people, you are accepting a progressive society instead of making it go backwards. That's the only thing I'm talking about here. Uh, and, and people say, well, uh, Ivan Provorov, uh, he accepts all people, which is what he said. But the fact is, he doesn't accept all people. If he accepted all people, he would have put the jersey on, he would have skated the pregame skate, and then they would have played the hockey game. He was making a statement that he doesn't accept all people. And my problem is, it's, it's, it's not his choice not to skate, but it, it, it was his mindset in general that bothers me. Yeah, does he have a right not to skate? I guess, but that's not really the issue. The issue is his mindset of prejudice against a certain culture of people. And that's what we have to attack or we're never going to have full progression of society. All right. Was that clear enough, Darren? You made, you made it very clear. You, you've said it all. <laughs> Look, I, I'm, I, don't, I don't judge all anyone right. on their lifestyle either. I think, that, I think the Flyers failed in this aspect. And this, I hope you don't misconstrue this. I think the Flyers should have known how he would have reacted and maybe should have made him unavailable that day. They did know. They, they knew exactly what he, what he was planning to do. And then they should have made him unavailable that day somehow because they brought this aggravation on themselves. Okay, well, they didn't. And the coach made excuses for him. Yeah. The coach made excuses. Well, we're going to do bench him because he doesn't want to come out. <laughs> no. Okay, well, whatever. The people are looking at the act of him not coming out. I'm looking at his mindset, which is harmful. I'm trying to attack the mindset yeah, I agree of that. intolerance for all people. And, and when it gets back to God, I go – does your God is is your do you believe in a God? Forget the religious rule, what it says on your religion. But do you believe in a God who is not accepting of all people? We're, we're taught that that God is about love and forgiveness and accepting all people, and that's where I blanch. Hide behind religion? That's the religious part of it. There's a God up there going, yeah, you guys are right, making those religious rules. I, like I don't get that part of it. All right. Let's move on. It's time now for three questions for Mike. Darren, what do you got for today? Three questions centering around another great topic that everyone loves talking about from that segue. Uh, three questions based on death that everyone, everyone loves to talk about death, right? David Crosby died this week, Mike, age 81 years old. Uh, give me your favorite. Give me your absolute. Give me one David Crosby song your go-to. Well, um, uh, I, I've been a fan of David Crosby for a long time, even though he was a complete kook. And he, uh, he destroyed not one, but two bands. 
with, with his his attitude and his drug use and, and all that stuff and and the fact that he made it to 81 is one of the biggest uh, coups in the history of human beings with the abuse that he, he put his body through. But I got back to David Crosby, Crosby, Stills, Nash when they first got together. And he wrote two absolutely perfect, beautiful songs that was on that Crosby, Stills, Nash album. And if you remember the album cover, they're sitting on some shaggy sofa in the middle of nowhere. Guinevere and Wooden Ships are two of the most beautiful songs that anybody could write. And he could really sing. Uh, so that's the David Crosby I go back to. Uh, not as much his solo career, but when he was a Crosby, Stills, and Nash guy, and when they had it going, they were just amazing. Uh, and and I and everybody hated hated him. He he died with everybody hating him, and uh, I guess he was willing to be okay with that. But uh, yeah, he was despised by by every band member that he ever worked with. <laughs> So there's a theme. There's about there's probably a couple dozen amazing uh, musicians in our lifetime that have the reputation for being difficult to work with and hated like that. He sure. Oh, yeah. He was totally difficult to work with. But but listen, do yourself a favor if you don't know these songs I'm talking about and you can call them up Guinevere and uh, Wooden Ships. And he wrote both of them and he sang both of them. It's on the Crosby Stills Nash first album. Uh, And and you'll 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 appreciate the 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 musicianship of, of David Crosby. Good choices. I would add Southern Cross to those as well. Okay. okay. Um, second question, another death question. A Philadelphia institution passed away just last night or this morning. Uh, Jerry Blavitt, the geeter with the heater, the boss with the big hot sauce, snapping his fingers, you know, the whole deal. Give me your Mount Rushmore of Philadelphia, like culture, like Philadelphia personalities, musicians, whatever. Give me four people that make up the story of Philadelphia culture. Uh, well, Gamble and Huff, uh, first of all, and their influence uh, on R&B in the city and the, all the musicians they spawned. Um, Hall Notes w- would have to absolutely uh, be on that list. In fact, uh, it's funny because they, they had a tweet uh, that they put out a couple of days ago on uh, if you had to select your, uh, your 10 best Hall Notes songs, what would they be? And I did that in a tweet. You go to my Twitter and I did the two Hall and Oates songs. I, I assume you would have to put uh, Jerry Jerry Blavitt on there and, and Teddy Pendergrass. Good choices. I might I might have to put Bobby Rydell on there just for personal reasons. But yeah, yeah, you know I knew Bobby Rydell uh, uh, very well, yeah. uh, and, and you're right, Bobby Rydell should be. And I knew Jerry Blavitt uh, very well also. And uh, I'm, you know, I'm sorry to hear of his death. And frankly, I grew up my brother was in that, that, that whole realm of the young teenagers and dance parties. And he had about five Jerry Blavitt albums. Jerry Blavitt would record these albums where he would go through the whole spiel, and he would play those to death. So I was very familiar with Jerry Blavitt at a very young age when Jerry Blavitt first broke into the scene as a young teenager doing those dance hall albums. They were, uh, but my brother was big. Uh, All right, good stuff. All right, final question. What celebrity death affected you in your lifetime the most? Hmm. What celebrity death? Celebrity meaning what? In the entertainment world? Any enter- entertainment. could be, you know, a TV broadcaster. could be an actor. could be a musician. Somebody that you, that really like, oof, that one hurts. Well, well I had to get, ser- I, I'm going to have to get serious about this because the death that always shocked me the most was the assassination of Martin Luther King. And I know we just had uh, MLK Day. I mean, I was a very impressionable 
uh, person at the time and who was really involved in trying to understand racial relations and, and what was going on in this country uh, and how black people had to, had to fight for rights, including just to go to a voting booth. Uh, and when he was assassinated, it was uh, it was uh, I, I felt I felt so ashamed as a white person uh, in this country because I thought Martin Luther King was one of the, the, the five greatest men who ever walked the face of this earth. And when that happens, I was ashamed to be a white person. I, I was ashamed that that happened, that that white people had to, uh, and some like crazed minds, bigoted minds had to stop the progress of that for for fear that they were somehow losing control of their country. So I, I, I you know, anything else dwarfs that any celebrity death dwarfs that when the uh, I learned of the assassination of Martin Luther King as a very young, impressionable person. There you go. That's three questions. All right. Uh, so three questions. And of course, we wrap this thing up with uh, my thought of the day. You know, um, this is such a silly thought. It's so irrelevant. But um, I realized something about the tasty cake, candy cake, peanut butter candy cake, which for my money is the best cake they've ever made. It goes one, two with butterscotch crimpets. It's the peanut butter candy cake. It's butterscotch crimpets. Uh, and then you know, everybody has has their personal favorite. But for me, the peanut butter candy take, cake, it used to be called the tandy take, and now it's the candy cake. And, and I, I I was used to the, the, the candy cake in, in a pack of three. That's when you, when you buy it uh, in the store, it's in a pack of three. When you buy it in the grocery store, in the family pack, it comes in packs of two. And what I realized about it is two is not enough, but four is too many. And I don't understand why uh, when Tasty Cake sells the family pack, they only do it in packs of two. Because clearly the template has been set over years and years of the Tasty Cake candy cake being a three pack. And so I find myself there. I finish the two and I yearn for another. But I can't open another pack because then four is too many. And then you have this this kind of orphan cake that you have to somehow wrap in uh, cellophane or something, and, and and it doesn't work. So my thought of the day is uh, for the tasty cake people. It's funny how we went from serious to this fr- fr- frivolity. <laughs> orphan tasty cake people, <laughs> the tasty cake people, please do the right thing. You're going to sell the family pack. Put it in packs of three. Even if you have to reduce the package, you know, like if you reduce the box, I don't care what you do. A tasty cake, peanut butter candy cake is meant to be eaten in threes because two is not enough and four is too many. And you're throwing off my biorhythms here. All right. That's (laughs) that's my thought of the day. And that ends. The Mike Missinelli podcast for today. We appreciate everybody listening to the podcast. Again, tell your friends and neighbors. we got good momentum on the podcast, and you can get it where all podcasts uh, come from, uh, Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, Google, all the all the places that carry the podcast. Just type in the Mike Missinelli podcast and subscribe for free because then you get it sent right to you. Uh, all right. Don't forget the Bet Rivers app. Tremendous. 
and, and get in. If you don't have the Bear Rivers app, I don't know, you know, what are you on Mars or something? You live in the, in the cave? Uh, the Bear Rivers app is fantastic. You got to download it because it's so easy to make your bets. And you have live betting, and then you can cancel your bet. If you don't like the way the bet's going, you get a buyout, so you can save yourself a couple dollars. It's a very versatile app. So definitely download it. You can reach me, uh, Twitter, MikeMiss25, uh, and you can email me. Uh, you know, my email uh, total has been down a little bit. I'd love to hear from people. Just email me, Mike at MikeMiss.com. You can comment on anything that I've just talked about, including the Ivan Provorov thing, which I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of hate mail, but it's okay. I like to go back and forth with people. It's the essence of me argumenting uh, or arguing and an argumentative situation. Uh, all right, what else? Oh, I got... A winery don't forget you can buy some wines a new winery that i'm part owner of it's called natalie vineyards and kate may courthouse it'd be a nice for a saturday venture down there it, it, there's, let me tell you something maybe cold out there right you might not see the grapes on the vine but you get into the wine tasting room on a raw saturday and sit there with some friends or your girlfriend and have a bottle of red and talk about life it's fantastic and we've got a great wine tasting room down there and also my book it's called the adventures of shima the shiva it's a children's book for kids that just learned to read or for uh, parents that like to read to their children. Uh, it's about my dog, but it's my brain inside my dog's brain narrating the book. Darren, anything else? Did we miss anything? Monday, divisional round analysis, Eagles, Giants, aftermath, a look ahead to championship Sunday with the great Ross Tucker. Oh, Ross Tucker will be on Monday in next week's podcast. And at that time, we'll be talking about the Eagles win over the Giants. Again, 31-17. And whether they can beat the San Francisco 49ers because you Dallas Cowboy fans. <laughs> if you think you're going to San Francisco to win that game, you're tripping. Right, this is Mike Miss. Have a great rest of the day. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to the Mike Miss and Ellie podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.